I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be with y'all. I especially appreciate the opportunity to show off some of the outstanding talent that we have on the Armed Services Committee. Um, and I'm, I'm glad, always glad, to hear Churchill's reminders. My problem is my wife says every time I talk, I leave people depressed uh, because I talk about what's really happening in the world. And uh, I'll try not to leave y'all depressed since it's just breakfast. Uh, but I will just say that uh, Dr. Kissinger, among others, has testified that never before in the country's history have we faced so many complex threats all at the same time. Um, and, and just glancing through the paper on any particular day can, can remind us of, of that fact. Uh, you know, the, the paper today, for example, is an airplane being blown out of the sky, uh, most likely uh, because of a bomb that, that, that was on it. Uh, let me just be a little wonkish for a second and then talk about the committee's agenda and then I mainly want y'all to hear from, from some of our other members. My wonkish side is I apologize I'm going to have to leave a little early because at 9 o'clock uh, we're going to have up first thing under suspension a $612 billion defense bill. Uh, now how did that happen exactly? If y'all been following this, uh, for 53 straight years, Congresses of both parties have passed and presidents of both parties have signed into law defense authorization bills. It's been beyond partisan politics. This year, for the first time, even uh, though the bill, our bill came out of committee 60 to 2, the president vetoed it, not because of anything that's in the bill, but to try to force Congress to increase spending in other areas. Now, last week, we passed the Bipartisan Budget Act. Uh, the veto didn't have anything to do with it. The debt limit did, and Boehner being on the way out had something to do with it. But the Washington Post said that it was historic, but not in a good way. Well, uh, we, we've, he seems to have uh, made his point, although at the expense of our troops, because it really puts them in the political crosshairs, a place where they've never been before. But uh, now he's changed his mind. He says he's going to sign the bill, and so at 9 o'clock we're going to have under suspension the exact same bill, just with some dollar amount adjustments to reflect the, the budget act that we passed last week. But every other clause is exactly the same as the one that he vetoed. Uh, I think it'll pass, as I say, under suspension. The Senate thinks they can do it uh, Monday, Tuesday. And then the president's indicated that uh, he would approve the bill next week, hopefully in time for, for Veterans Day. So that's, that's the immediate issue that, that we're dealing with. Let me talk just for a second about the committee's broader agenda. Uh, this complex world, with all of these threats facing us, I think the imperative is for our military to be more agile because everything moves faster these days. Uh, how many generations of an iPhone do you go through uh, in, in just a short amount of time? Meanwhile, it still takes us 20 years to field an airplane. That airplane is going to be out of date many times over by the time it's there. Uh, and, and, and so we don't know the tactics of the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, the terrorists. And, and so it is an imperative for us to be more agile in dealing with all these threats that Kissinger and others have, have talked about. So defense reform is a very high priority for me and I think for most people on the committee. That includes acquisition reform, how we buy stuff. We want to get more value for the taxpayers, but more importantly in my mind is we have to field technology faster if we're going to keep up with the changing threats. 
Now, we also have personnel reform. And so in this year's bill, we have a new retirement system for the military. Now, a lot of people thought that could not happen, by the way. And, it, and maybe in the discussion, we can get into ways that that can be a template for broader entitlement reform that everybody here knows we need to do. And thirdly, we have organizational and, and overhead reform, cutting the bureaucrats in the Pentagon um, so that we can be more agile, but also more of our resources goes to the folks on the front lines, not to the bureaucracy over here. So, so that, in, in broad measure, is the agenda. Uh, certainly, uh, Senator McCain is on board on all three elements, and so we have made a start on acquisition reform this year, uh, but we are already talking about next year's acquisition reform and, and the years thereafter. As we go through these reform issues, we, we you know, have our policy oversight and the, and the other things, but I am really delighted to have outstanding, I, I, well, let me put it this way, I am cursed to be the chairman of the largest committee in Congress, 63 members. Uh, I am blessed to have some of the very best members, uh, certainly of our conference, and you're going to get a chance to hear from uh, several of them this morning. So, uh, with that, if I could call up, uh, let's see, Ryan and Jackie and Tom and Steve. I think uh, y'all get to sit down up here in these fancy chairs that Councilman has arranged. <laughs> uh, I'll just say two things these folks have in common. Number one is they are consistently the most thoughtful, engaged, constructive members of our committee. Uh, every time they ask a question, I know it's, it's going to be a good question. Second thing they have in common, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, they all have tough districts. Uh, they all have to fight and scrap to get here and to stay here. Um, and, and that makes their contributions here, to me, even, even more impressive. So let me just, I think, go down the row. Uh, Jackie Walorski's in her second term. Uh, in her past, she, among other things, was a TV reporter and spent some time overseas running a nonprofit in, in Romania. Uh, so, from Indiana, obviously, and so let me turn it over to Jackie for her impressions, insights, or what you'd like to share. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, the other thing we have in common is we're all in blue suits. So if I hadn't gotten in at midnight last night and I crashed into bed, I would have wore something bright this morning. But my my one cup of coffee as I walked into my closet was I'm wearing this suit. I get in here, I'm like, oh, dear God, I'm glad we're leaving today. So uh, anyway, I appreciate y'all being here this morning. Um, one of the reasons I'm on HASP is because my husband and I were living overseas for four years in the nation of Romania in the capital of Bucharest during 9-11. And we, never, we did not know if we'd ever see our country again. So the data communication systems were down, the flights were down. Uh, for a long time, the president was flying around until they decided this was terrorism. And um, there was, I can tell you, I've never had a feeling, but it's a life-changing feeling for my husband and I, that when we, woke, we figured out for two days, sat there and watched CNN, the only Western media at the time, that our nation was under attack. And when they closed the airspace and they closed the data systems down, we never, we did not know. There was no assurance we'd ever see this country again, our family again. And it is, it is life-changing. It's very compelling. The American Embassy began the process of moving uh, Americans out. The Marines started the count of, you know, everybody gathering. They're going to send everybody to Germany for safety and protection. Then they decided to leave everybody there when they found out what happened. But I remember when my husband and I left there. I said to my husband, I was like, I will never have this happen on my watch again. 
we need to do everything we can possibly do to protect our nation no matter who's in political power. There should be something that unites us as Americans that says that we truly need to defend in every single way we possibly can the greatest nation this earth has ever seen. And so um, I came back and I ran for the Indiana House that I won. Um, one of the only people serving in the state of Indiana in the legislature at the time that had any kind of global experience whatsoever. It also gave me the great opportunity to be involved in the watch the global economy work and then come back to the state of Indiana. One of the few people that ever really understood what the global economy was, having been able to be involved in it. And then um, having an opportunity to serve with these guys and to serve under this chairman, um, you know, I really honed into this national defense budget for the last three years since I've been here. I really honed into this issue of using the information that we have on Guantanamo Bay, Gitmo, and, and, and being the one block to the president so that we always have the, the administration's view, which is bring terrorists back to American soil and treat them with American constitutional privileges and pretend they're just people that are like anybody else. And so I went down to Gitmo and um, saw firsthand what our American servicemen and women are up against trying to keep these terrorists that already have blood on their hands in a safe environment, trying to keep our own military safe. And I'll just tell you this before I pass this on, why this is important, why we should care, why you, Paul, we all should care in this room, what happens to Guantanamo Bay, and it's this. So, you know, when I was in the Indiana State House and a reporter as well, I was a crime reporter. So I covered crime every which way you could possibly imagine. It's a very dark job when you're a crime reporter because you're surrounded with massive amount of criminal behavior. And, um, and the one thing I found out, being in the legislature in Indiana, there is not one U.S. prison in our system today that does not fight contraband. Contraband in the U.S. prison system is something that nobody can keep out. The last thing we need to do is to bring mastermind terrorists into a U.S. prison system and understand what's going to happen with recruiting of the already problem that we have with Americans being recruited to go fight with ISIS and, and with ISIL, but also to now link these terrorists with cell phones and the types of things you can get your hands on in the U.S. prison system and targeting neighborhoods now and targeting states. And I think that, you know, as we look at this next presidential election, I've taken upon myself for the three years here in Hask in articulating national security to female voters. Because at the end of the day, we own this issue, and we've let this issue kind of wander and just kind of evaporate in our country. But women will decide the next president just like women decided the last president. And the one thing that I find in my district, and I find when we do national kinds of news about different things, is people will crush our email and they'll crush our phones from around the country with a lot of women. And in, in, in my district, I win with independent voters. I have a really close district. But I just want to make sure that we have a chance over the next 12 months to articulate to moms at home who are concerned about their neighborhood safety, they're concerned about the safety in this country, but they're really concerned about things like ISIS recruiting inside our U.S. prisons. They're concerned about their kids. They want to make sure that our land remains safe. And in order for our land to remain safe, we have to address and continue to address and be the alternative opinion to a president that's been inactive and reactive at best. Huge and important part of our of our team, uh, what she was just talking about, talking about national security with, with women. Uh, Steve Knight from California in his first term, a U.S. Army veteran, uh, served in the LAPD as a police officer for 18 years, served in the California House, California Senate, and now we're the benefit of his expertise. Steve? Well, thank you, Mr. Chair, and uh, I don't know if I can follow up, Jackie. I'll, uh, I'll give it all of my enthusiasm that I have, but uh, 
So it's, uh, you know, my number one goal uh, after being elected was to be on armed services. And I, I had met the chairman before and I, I had admired him. And my district is defense oriented. Uh, we have, I have part of Edwards Air Force Base, which is where I was born. And then I move all the way out to the Reagan Library. And in between there, I have US Plant 42, which is where all the contractors do their test flight. And uh, just to the north of me, I have Mojave, which is where they're doing all of the uh, commercial space flights. So everything is happening right there. We like to say it's in the middle of everywhere. If you drive out to my district, you probably think it's in the middle of nowhere. But uh, as far as test flight and, and space, that is where it is happening. So when I wanted to get on armed services, it was because I wanted to work on the things that I know are not working very well. Acquisition was the number one thing. So when the chairman started talking about acquisition, I said, boy, you're, you're talking my lingo because uh, just two weeks ago, we've announced a new bomber. It is going to be built in my district, just like the B-1 was, just like the B-2 was, and now the B whatever it's going to be. Everyone says it's going to be the B-3, but it could be anything. That will be built in my district. It will fly out of my district. It will test in my district. And the acquisition period of, of getting an airplane, going through the testing phase, and actually getting it to operational could be 10 or 12 years before we see the warfighter have a new bomber in, uh, in theater. And that is, that is too long. We want the test phase to be long enough so that we work out all the kinks and it's safe for our, our airmen, but it's got to be fast enough that we can move forward with technology. And right now we're building an airplane and then flying the wings off it and then building another airplane. In the 60s, we were building overlapping airplanes. So when the F-100 was being built, the F-101, the F-102 were being built. The F-100 was still flying. We don't do that today. So the acquisition period process has got to be a lot faster. I'll tell you, I'll explain my district in just one sentence. Last night, I did a Teletown Hall. I took 15 questions. One question was on, do we have enough aircraft carriers? And another question was on, do our fighters go long enough in the air on a tank of gas? And I thought, only in my district will people be asking questions like this. Normally, people will be asking, how's the new speaker, or is the budget going well, or you know, things like that. But uh, my first question is, is a woman who asked about aircraft carriers. So uh, that is why I'm, I'm uh, on armed services. I think I bring something to it. I, I am a veteran, but I'm not a Ryan Zinke. Uh, during my enlistment, I drank beer with German women. Uh, I did not go into combat. I make a huge distinction between someone who was in the military and a combat veteran. That is a huge distinction in my mind. Um, but I, I think I have that, um, that kind of background, a little background. And my father was a 32-year uh, test pilot and astronaut in the Air Force. And so I bring that to the, the table of, of what we went through in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and now what we're doing today. So I, I appreciate it very much. I do sit on science, space, and technology. That's uh, another uh, area that's very near and dear to my heart. And the last thing I'll say is, is if you want to do something, then work on something that you're good at. Please don't try and be a jack of all trades. Try and be good at something and do it. I think that that's uh, a good example of what the chairman brings to the, to the table. He knows what he's, he's very good at. He works it, and he accomplishes things. Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't have a, a, a goal on other things, but you've got to accomplish something in, in elected life. And uh, the reason we are bringing the bomber to my district is because my office worked on a $840 million tax credit to California 
to make sure that we would build that bomber in California. Without that, it would have gone to Florida, Missouri, or Texas. I'm sick of losing things to Texas. I'm tired of Texas. Um, the gentleman's time is <laughs> Thank you all very much. I never made a Texas joke when the chairman's in the room. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Um, Tom MacArthur uh, started as an insurance adjuster, and then he ended up owning the insurance company. Uh, he has made huge contributions to, to our committee among, in many areas, but, but um, health care uh, is a complex topic for the military just like it is for anybody else. And on the personnel subcommittee, among other places, Tom has been terrific. Now, he runs his family charitable organization. He's been mayor and councilman and all that stuff, but we are delighted to have Tom MacArthur from New Jersey. Thank you, Maggie. Good morning. I, uh, I drank beer with Irish women and have been uh, with her for 33 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out okay. I was at a, a birthday party yesterday, and I don't think I've ever seen a cake uh, carried and cut and consumed with uh, uh, such uh, care. Uh, all to the cadence of the United States uh, Marine Band. Right? It was the 240th birthday party for the Marine Corps. And, uh, and I felt real pride as I listened. It was a, it was a, a very involved uh, ceremony. And it got me thinking about what makes our country so great. And there's a lot of reasons, but I think about this great experiment of, uh, of individual freedom and liberty and justice with uh, minimal interference from government. I think about free enterprise, which I certainly have benefited from in the rule of law. And I think about our ability to project strength, which is the backstop for all of you. And I come at this, uh, this uh, position on armed services through the lens of a businessman. It's what I did for 30 years. I, I had the privilege of running a, an insurance company with thousands of employees. And I can't get that out of my system. That's the way I look at things. And when I look at what's before us on the Armed Services Committee, I think of it in those terms. There is the need to define our priorities and our objectives and our strategy. There's the need to fund those things and to support our troops and to make difficult choices and to honor our commitments. Uh, there's the need to have accountability, and that's part of what we do, bringing people in and making sure the administration and the Department of Defense knows we have their back, but we also have our eye on them. And on um, behalf of the American people, we're uh, holding them accountable. And then you get to the whole area of change, which is really difficult. And, and Mac mentioned acquisition reform. Uh, I'm involved in... Uh, uh, the medical health care, the uh, military health care system and trying to reform that and this tension between incremental change and sea change. And they're bo they both have their own sets of challenges and I think that is probably going to be one of the great challenges for our committees. Where's the balance? Where do we go for incremental change and where do we go for sea change? And uh, that's much broader and deeper and harder to get done, frankly. And I think the last thing I think about is how do you get things done in a, uh, in a sense in a divided Congress? 
where there are different agendas, even with our own, uh, within our own Republican Party, and certainly between the Republic, Republican Party and the Democratic Party. How do you get things done? And for me, one of the great lessons in business was you only get things done by finding common ground and by compromising. No one gets everything they want. Nobody. And I approached, for example, the vote uh, last week on the budget deal. Uh, I was one of 79 Republicans to support that. I didn't like everything in it. But among all the good things it did, one of them was it gave us some visibility and defense for the next two years. It gave our troops and their commanders visibility and stability and an ability to plan. And, uh, and I think that was uh, important enough for me to swallow some things that I wasn't really very happy about. And I think that, for me, is one of the, the, the key principles of, uh, that comes out of, out of a business life. You have to compromise. You're not, you're not going to get it all. So I think about the birthday party yesterday. The US Congress created the Marine Corps. The United States Congress supports their readiness mission, critical mission, today. And I really believe the United States Congress has an essential role. It's not just the it's not just the administration. It's not just the Department of Defense. It's the United States Congress and our constitutional role to provide for the common defense. And I uh, and I believe we'll have a critical role in securing our uh, country's future going forward. And that's why I'm so thrilled to be on the committee. I also have the nation's only tri-service uh, joint base in my district. But I try hard to keep the national priorities in, uh, in view, even as I pay attention to my more parochial uh, priorities, because that's, that's the challenge that's ahead of us. So thank you for being here. I really appreciate the chance to chat with you. Thank you, sir. Um, Ryan Zinke played on the line for the Oregon Ducks. And I am just mystified at how you can be motivated to go hit somebody under a cheer of Go Ducks. <laughs> we've changed our name, we're now the Ox, because we don't have any defense. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, he, he then went on to spend 23 years as a Navy SEAL and now represents Montana in, in the Congress. Ryan Well, it's good to be with you this morning. And a uh, few words of that. From the armed services point of view, I, I come as a, not only a, a former commander, you know, I still Team Six, but also a father. Uh, my daughter's a Navy diver. Uh, she married a Navy SEAL who was active. I told my daughter two things: don't join the Navy and don't marry a Navy SEAL. <laughs> but I, I think from from my perspective, uh, when we engage, I'm probably the last person that ever wants to go to war. I've seen it up close and personal, and it is a horrifying experience. But if we have to go to war, and we are at war, uh, we've been, matter of fact, we've been at war the longest period of our nation's history, by a factor of about three. Uh, but when we do go to war, we have to make sure that our troops and our children, as I could say, our children, uh, make sure we have the right equipment, the right training, the right leadership to win decisively on the field of battle. And before we send them out, we've got to make sure that we know what conditions to bring them back. I, I think we owe that uh, to our troops forward. And what I see today is I see we've learned to say retreat in five languages. And the world is a very complicated, asymmetrical threat. 
but we're creating vacuums. And when the vacuums are created, they're being filled. They're either being flown by our competitor, in the case of China, as China builds islands, and it does well affect our commerce and our, our right of passage in the seas. In the case of Ukraine, it's an aggressive Russia that we've walked away from our treaty obligations in considering Ukraine. And that's a signal to every ally we have that will the United States stand with our treaties and our obligations or not? And when we walk away from the treaty, uh, it has global implications. And then, of course, in the Middle East, it is a combination of a vacuum that we created that's being filled by an aggressor with, with Russia and our enemy and Iran. And I have no malice towards the Iranian people. I have great malice uh, towards the Iranian regime. About 500 of our troops directly met death as, as a result of Iran. And they have not changed. So it's an honor to be on the committee, but I've never seen a, anything in the first 10 months in office that isn't fixable. I mean, it isn't within the power of America to fix. And I'm an optimist. As bad as the news is every day, the good thing is our energy source in this country. It was un unthinkable just a few years ago that we would have the energy resources we do in coal, natural gas. And that is an enormous leverage. It's an enormous leverage to check Putin uh, in the Ukraine as expansion because we can't export liquid natural gas to Eastern Europe and cut, cut his cash flow off. And if we choose, we can blockade the Persian Gulf and supplement every drop of, of crude worldwide. We have that ability. And lastly, you've heard a lot about the president dismantling the military. He's taken a lot of teeth out. But he can't dismantle this military fast enough. Well, the next president is going to inherit the strongest, most capable military that has ever been assembled in the history of mankind. That's the power of our military. And you can add the militaries today of China and Russia and the European Union and every military on the face of this planet, and they cannot match. They cannot match what our Navy does every day. So that's an optimistic view. So we're going to get through the next year and a half. It's going to be painful. Um, but you know, we're going to approach the problems that, that and go back to what's made this country great: innovation, thinking out of the box. But thank you for all being uh, for you being here. And thanks for your support, uh, Congress. And I look at it. The first day of hunting season, I was on a plane back here. So, and, and thank you, Chairman. <laughs> being in Congress sometimes is it's like being Joe. It's a, it's a question of faith. <laughs> well, I think y'all can see. Uh, I think y'all can see the depth of background and the thoughtfulness of the folks that I'm privileged to work with on the Armed Services Committee. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity to do that.